If you have your Bibles, grab them and we'll turn to Romans 8. This morning we're going to look at just a few verses in Romans 8. And we're actually going to look at a story that Jesus told. And I want to ask a couple of questions before I close. Uh, Romans 8, we're going to look at verses 5 through 11 in just a, just a minute. Some of you might remember a gal in our church named Bonnie Shaver. Uh, Bonnie sat back there uh, by Sherry Esco and hung out with those guys. Uh, her beloved friend's name was Lou Ann. Bonnie had ALS. And if you know anything about ALS, it's just a terrible, terrible disease. It just breaks your body down a little bit at a time. Bonnie and her friend Luann sat back there and they hosted a Bible study in their home. Some of these guys hung out there sometimes. They loved people really, really well. And they were really well loved. Bonnie, um, being real sick, loved lots of people really, really well and she allowed other people to love her well. One day, uh, Bonnie asked if I'd come over and I'd been to their house a couple times before, but this invitation was just a little bit different. Kind of new uh, when she called that she wanted to talk with me about her funeral. And so when I got there, we just talked for a little bit and um, I could see her body was breaking down and her breathing was limited and she wasn't eating a whole bunch. But her mind was crystal clear. Like she was sharp. I want to talk with you about my funeral, she said. And I said, okay, let's talk a little bit about that. We talked for a few minutes about some of her favorite scripture passage. And I said, what would you want me to read at your funeral? She said, I'd want you to read Romans 8. I said, Romans 8, that's awesome passage. I've read that before. What part of Romans 8 do you want me to read? She said, all of it. I want you to read the whole thing. And I said, okay, that, that, okay, that sounds great. I had my Bible. And so I flipped my Bible to Romans 8. We read it together. And then she said this, I'll never forget it. She said, you know what? I, I'm going to memorize Romans 8 before I die because as long as I live, I want to live that way. And a few weeks later, we all stood together and I read Romans 8, told that story, and we all wept because of the way Bonnie Shaver lived and because of the way that she loved that's the way her life ended here on this earth. And that's the way it began in eternity. So I want us to read Romans 8. All of it. The whole thing. I'll read it. You can just follow along. Uh, it'll take us a minute, but I just think it'd be great for us to read the whole thing. We'll just talk a couple, about a couple of these verses. So here we go. Uh, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those living according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. 
Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the spirit if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit... You put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that would be revealed in us for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We don't know what we ought to pray for, But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? 
As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered a sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Like Bonnie Shaver, as long as I live, I want to live and love that way. If you were here last week, we introduced this idea of Life in the Spirit today, maybe just the starting line, what it might look like. If you have your Bibles, just take a look at verses 5 through 8 and then 9 through 11. In these verses, as we read, you might have heard that Paul makes a distinction, a contrast, if you will, between life in the flesh and life in the Spirit. In verse 5, it's life in the flesh and life in the Spirit. Paul talks about what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about an unsaved person. The unsaved person does not have the Spirit of God. Uh, you may have heard that a moment ago when we read it. But we Jesus people, we don't just have life. We Jesus people, we have the Spirit of life that puts us in a whole different realm. We live in a whole different sphere. We're not bound to the material world or the things by it. We cannot be enslaved by sin. We've been given life, life abundantly, life eternally, life defined by the Spirit, life defined by heaven. Verse 6, Paul contrasts death and life. The unsaved person is dead in their transgressions, just like you and I used to be. Verse 7, Paul contrasts war with God and peace with God. Uh, in Romans 7 that we read last week, we heard that our old nature wants to rebel. You might, you might remember that from last week. Our old nature wants to rebel against God. Those who have put their faith and trust in Christ now have peace with him. This is Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Back to Romans 8, verse 8. Paul contrasts pleasing self versus pleasing God. To be in the flesh means to be lost. It's all about you. Remember last week? Romans 7, I, I, me, 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 mine, mine, mine. And then verse 9, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. You and I have been given the Spirit. Nothing we did to deserve this, nothing we can do to undeserve this. We've been given life in the Spirit. I want you to check out verse 10. Uh, the rest of verse 9, verse 10, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So the Holy Spirit is the evidence of our conversion. The Holy Spirit's presence in our life is the evidence that we cross the line of faith. You might remember at some point in your life, there might have been a time at some point in your life where, and you can testify to when you crossed the line of faith. Might have happened in a church or might have happened in a car or at home, might have happened in your room. I don't know how your experience happened. I'm not exactly sure how my experience happened. Either God found me or I found him. I'm not exactly sure how that all happened, but, but, but this is what I know. Uh, I grew up at this camp. I've talked to you about it a hundred times. I loved it there. 
But the summer after high school, one day I was up on this ridge. I'd been on this ridge a bunch of times, hundreds of times, maybe even a thousand times. One day after high school, I was up on this ridge and I just looked over the canyon. And all of a sudden, as I'm looking over this canyon, I just, I just see color. I just see beauty. I just saw this magnificence. And I'd stood there a bunch of times and all I saw was desert. All I saw was this dry, arid, empty, lonely But this day, as I stood up there, I saw this array of color and I was in awe. I couldn't believe it. It was as if my world went from black and white to full color. It was amazing. And from that day, one way that I know the Spirit of God is at work in me is just through beauty. uh, Through the beauty of his creation. Let me just ask you a quick question. This is just an aside. Anyone ever seen beauty at McDonald's? No, okay, I'm I'm alone again. Uh, Yesterday, we saw beauty at McDonald's. Uh, Our daughter just finished her junior year uh, uh, at Samford and all of her friends were going to the beach uh, to celebrate the summer and they were driving past Atlanta and we were like, hey man, you know, can we catch up? And they're like, yeah, and we'll meet you at McDonald's on Thornton Road right off of I-20. We said, yes, it was so cool. And we got down there at the same time and I actually had a Bible with me. And we went into McDonald's and all these girls poured out of this car, all these couple cars. I was like, well, this is going to be expensive. Oh, this is awesome. And, <laughs> oh, I, and we all sat around this big table And it was the most beautiful thing. We just talked about Jesus and ate chicken McNuggets and fries. And we just talked about Jesus and we talked about beauty. And we talked about how God's been present in their lives this year at school. What they're longing for and what they're looking for. There's nothing more. I didn't want that meal to end. I just wanted the beauty in that moment. So powerful. Pardon? Pardon? I was loving it. (laughs) Whoever said that, yes. Did I not communicate that clearly that I was loving it? Was there a question about my enthusiasm for what I loved? I will tell you this, about halfway through the meal, my daughter runs out of the restaurant across to Chick-fil-A because there wasn't enough ketchup at McDonald's. (laughs) Anyway, more information later. The second thing that happened to me on that ridge was I sensed an ushering into a small community of people down in that camp who loved me and were just as welcoming of my love as I was theirs. A little community that would care for me. A little community that would bless me. A little community that would let me care. And a little community that would let me bless. And my mind began to be set on life and the beauty of community. My behavior didn't change radically, and there was, my behavior is still changing. But there was a belief that changed that day, something deep inside of me, the spirit testifying to the power of the beauty of community. So can I just ask, what's your, what's your testimony of how the spirit brings evidence to new life in Christ? Maybe you can go all the way back to high school. Maybe a more important question is what's your testimony of how the Spirit brings evidence to new life in Christ today? What does that look like today for you? Because the Spirit didn't stop working 
on that ridge on that day or for you in that classroom or VBS or when you were a kid or when you came forward, spirit didn't stop working. So what does it look like for you today? Hear what Paul says, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. And then he goes on to say, but if Christ is in you, then your body subject to death because of sin. The spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. This is our starting point. It's our starting line. And then, and then the spirit begins to work in us, begins to guide us, lead us, direct us, begins to bless us. I said last week that the primary purpose of the spirit's work in our lives is to move us from a transactional relationship with God to a transcendent reality of Christ in us, the hope of glory. The Spirit's role, it is to guide and it is to lead. The Spirit's role is to comfort and it is to advocate. But deeper still, the Spirit's work in us is to live in this transcendent reality that the gospel is manifested in us in regular, ordinary places like a table at McDonald's. For the disciples after the resurrection of Christ, it was to become the love of Jesus that And to live out that love that Jesus talked so much about. The Spirit opens us up to divine love. Divine love is not a love of duty. But it is a love of devotion. Are you motivated by duty? Do you just want to please God? Or are you motivated by devotion? Are you willing to trust God? A supernatural love. A love that is willing to do anything and everything at all costs for the sake of others. I want to close with looking at an example that Jesus gave. And I think it'll help us kind of see the difference between a life in the flesh or a life in the spirit. I trust, hopefully, it'll help you see God's spirit, how he might be living and leading you to live out divine love today. If you have your Bibles, flip back to Luke chapter 10. Verse 25 through 29. Um, this passage of scripture, some we know it as uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I just want to read a little bit of it here this morning. It starts out this way. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. I love this. This expert in the law knew the answer. He knew the answer. He basically said, yeah, it's it's to love. It's to love people. It's to love God. And then it's to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, yeah, that's right. You got it. Do this. (laughs) Live this way, right? Do this and you'll live. But he wanted to justify himself. Life in the flesh. Self-justification, the epitome of life in the flesh. Just do it my way. I want to justify myself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? He wants to be right. He wants to get it right. This guy is expert in the law. He wants to make sure that he's right. So to make sure that he's right and to make sure that he justifies himself, he asked Jesus the question, well, who is my neighbor? I mean, who is it that I'm supposed to love? And who do I, you know, who is it that I don't have to love? I was talking about, I was talking about my friend, talking with my friend Christy the other day. We were talking about rights. Um, We went, we were hanging out together. We were talking about rights. And we concluded that when our rights 
when we're motivated by our rights, my right, my right, mine, mine, me, 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 then, then we're most likely living in the flesh. But when we give up our right to be right, when we're willing to subject our rights for the sake of others' rights, that's when we're living in the spirit. I want to read a little more of the story. This is what happens next. Uh, Rudy, you have to keep me honest here. I told this story once backwards and Rudy had to. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he was attacked by robbers and they stripped him of his clothes and they beat him and they went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the very same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged up his wounds and poured oil and wine. And he put the man on his own donkey. And he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, look after him. He said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that you might have. And think about this with me for just a minute. This is a Samaritan ministering to a Jew. They would be hated enemies. I'm thinking this might, this might be what life looks like if we're being led by the Spirit. We might even, we might even minister to someone who we consider a hated enemy, I'm thinking this, what, this might be what radical love really looks like. This might be where the Spirit really wants to lead us. I want you to notice that this is a life interrupted. This is a life that's outside of one's own control. This Samaritan is walking by, he goes, whoa, 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 uh, what's this? What's going on here? It's outside of his control. He's not operating by his own agenda. He doesn't have his plan and he's going to work it out. He's his life isn't under his own control. When we're led by the Spirit, we have eyes to see, we have ears to hear. When we're led by the Spirit, we have a heart of compassion, a heart to heal. And that's what this guy does, bandages up his wounds. He pours his own oil, his own wine. He puts this puts man on his own donkey. He brings him to the inn and he takes care of him. When we're led by the Spirit, we love others the way Jesus loves others. We care for others with the love that the Spirit gives, not with our own strength. The next day, the pastor says, the next day. What does that mean? The next day. To me, I read this. To me, I read this guy spent the whole night in his room. I don't know, uh, maybe some of you have had kids and You've like had to spend the night in the room looking over your sick kid like, I can remember, is she still breathing? You know, spending the whole night waking up like, is she okay? Making sure you spend the whole night. He spent the whole night in this room. How about maybe even helping him get up to go to the bathroom? You know, how about, how about the humility of that to just sit up the whole night, take care of him the next day? The next day he pays for all of it. Wipes his face, removed his bandages, put it salve on his room on his wounds and he says to the innkeeper hey will you keep will you keep an eye on my new friend over here a jew of all people <laughs> i'll pay whatever it costs i'll pay whatever it costs cost doesn't matter 
What matters is life. What matters is dignity. What matters is healing. That's a life that's being led by the Spirit. One more part of the story that I think is really important, maybe even more important for a lot of us. Like a lot of us get this and we're like, yeah, okay, we get that, I get that. When reading this text, our focus is usually on the heart or the motives or the actions of the Samaritan. And it should be. Like we should pay attention to all of what we just talked about. The Samaritan gives his whole self to care for the beaten man who again was ethnically his greatest enemy. But don't miss the story. Don't miss the nuance of the story. Not only is the Samaritan the essence of a hero in the story, Jesus is challenging another real bias, the willingness of a Jew to receive care from a Samaritan. Right, it'd be a beautiful story if it was the other way around as Jesus is telling it to Jews. You know, it'd be a beautiful story if it was the Jew who cared for the beaten and broken Samaritan, but Jesus takes the redemptive path, turns the whole story around. A Samaritan is used by God as a conduit for healing the Jew. I thought about that a ton this week. Thought about that so much this week. I thought about how so many of us are so good at hearing the Holy Spirit and we go and we see someone in need and we go and help that someone in need and we probably feel good about ourselves and we get back and we go. So many of us are so good at being led by the Spirit to care for others. But when was the last time that you were led by the Spirit to allow someone else to care for you? When was the last time that you asked for meaningful help? I'm thinking the same spirit who leads us to care for other people, who empowers us to see and hear and act, that same spirit, wouldn't that same spirit prompt us to ask someone else to see, hear, and heal us? But when was the last time that you asked for meaningful help? Second question, when was the last time that you let someone care for you? How about this question? Is this question a question that's motivated by the flesh or a question motivated by the spirit? Uh, Or I should say a statement, not a question. This is a statement. Motivated by the flesh or motivated by the spirit? This is the the statement I hear all the time. I don't want to be a burden. But I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to burden someone else. Ah, but the spirit would lead you to care for someone else who is burdened. And then you would care for them and you would be the hands. And he- is that statement motivated by the flesh or is it motivated by the spirit? I don't want to be a burden. You tell me. Out loud. By the flesh. I hear it all the time. I don't want to be a burden. The same spirit who leads you to care for people who are burdened, the same spirit wants to allow other people to care for you when you're burdened. Every single person in this room in the last year has been burdened. And my question is, would you allow the Spirit of God to invite someone to care for you? Or is your mantra, I'm not going to let anyone know. My problems aren't as big as someone else's problems. I don't have ALS. I mean, come on, of course she would need help. Your problems are just as real as anyone else. When was the last time that you invited someone to care for you? I can hear the Spirit say, hey, invite someone to help you, to minister to you, to be an agent of my healing to you. 
to be led by the Spirit is to give and to receive the supernatural love of God. Let's pray. God, would you help us this morning to be sensitive to your spirit? Would you help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that acts in compassion towards others? And God, would you give us the courage when we need to, to ask someone to come to us with hands and eyes and a heart that heals. Would you help us, God, to follow your spirit as you lead us one step at a time? Would you remind us that we're not a burden? Would you remind us that you are our healer? And that lots of times the way that you heal people is through other people. So God, we just, uh, I just ask, would you lead us? Would you give us the faith to trust you as you lead us? And help us to rest in the direction you're taking us. We love you. We need you. I need you. So we invite you in again today. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We give you praise. We give you praise. Amen. Well, in these moments, just want to give you an opportunity to uh, reflect and, and to respond however the Spirit might be leading you. We've set up some communion stations around the room and just want to invite you, if that's one way that the Spirit is leading you to remember what He accomplished on your behalf, I want to invite you to go to one of the four corners or you can come up here to this one, this station, just to take and eat and remember that He loves you. Maybe there's a conversation that could happen person sitting next to you or a prayer or somebody next to you that you want to pray with or pray for or if there's someone sitting next to you that you want them to pray for you with you just want to invite you in these next moments to respond as the spirit leads let's continue to worship together